Are you guys ready to get in the word this morning? We are going to jump back in. This is message eight on the scarlet thread of redemption. I've been hearing from a few people that have bought that book that are going, wow, that book is really awesome, right? That goes into a lot of things we don't go into here. We have been talking about, you know, we took a, we took a Kenyan bypass last week. You know, we had Vidar come out from, Ken, uh, from Kenya. Um, he flew all the way here from Nairobi, Kenya to be with us on Sunday, which is really awesome. And uh, so that was, that was wonderful, but we want to jump back in. There's still some things that we have to talk about. We've been specifically talking about Abraham, right? This Abrahamic covenant that's so prevalent all throughout the Bible. So remember that when we say the scarlet thread of redemption, what we are talking about is the blood covenant. The blood covenant is the scarlet thread of redemption that runs all the way through the Old and New Testament. Remember, the Bible is not two books. It's not Old Testament and New Testament. It's actually one book, one story, right? The Old Testament, everything God did, every, every piece of clothing that a priest would wear, all the sacrifices, everything, the way the tabernacle was made, everything was to literally point to Jesus so that when he would show up in the earth, everyone would know him, right? And then we see Jesus on the earth in the Gospels. We get a perfect photograph of Christ. We see exactly how he operates. Then we go into the epistles and we see an x-ray. Or in other words, we don't see Christ only, we see in Christ. And so that's how we learn how to live, right? The epistles will teach you how to live and walk as Jesus walked on the earth. So let's jump into this. Go over to Genesis 22. We're just going to kind of read a couple scriptures. Because remember, we said this when we were together. And I want to encourage you, this is a series that you definitely want to go back and, and outline. And study and make yours. Because this will build trust in you like nothing else. Because you will see that the God of heaven... All that he is and all that he has, he has given to you. He is for you today. He will impact and change and transform everything in your life. All things are possible to those that believe. Why? Because of who God is, what he has done. He has cut covenant with man. And it's unbreakable. The guarantee of that covenant is not you and I, it's Jesus right? Powerful. So we talked about the blessing of Abraham. You know, we live in the blessing of Abraham right now, and how, how many people get excited that know about it? Now, not a lot of Christians even know that there's a blessing of Abraham, right? But we do. So we can get excited about the blessing of Abraham, but we don't really want to deal with the obedience of Abraham. And unless you understand that walking in obedience to the word of God is what opens up the ability to receive all the blessings from God. Abraham walked in this because he walked in obedience. So Genesis 22, verse 9, it says, And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Verse 12, and he said, lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What's interesting is when God came to Abraham and he said, okay, this son that you've been believing God for, this son who is going to be, his seed is going to number, if you could count the stars, you'll be able to count your, your seed. If you could count the sand you're walking on, you'll be able to count your seed. It's all going to come through Isaac. And then God comes to him and says, now I want you to take Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering. Nobody lived through that. Because what you would do, a burnt offering, you would slit the throat of the animal. They would bleed out and die. And then you would burn their body to ashes. So that's what God was asking Abraham to do with his son. Okay? The Bible says after God told him that, he got up early the next morning and started going. He didn't argue with God. He instantly obeyed. And then he even told his two servants, before, before when, when Isaac and Abraham were going to walk up to the mountain where God showed them to do this, he told the two servants, you guys stay here. Isaac and I are going to go up and we're going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And then he even said this, and we are going to come back. So in other words, Abraham was fully persuaded that literally he was going to kill his son, burn his body to ashes, and fully persuaded that God was going to raise him up again and they were going to come back down. That's the trust that Abraham had developed in God. Interesting. See, Abraham offering his only son would would prove in the most supreme way that he loved God and would be faithful to the covenant, okay? So verse 13 of Genesis 22, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. In other words, and this this is the only place where the redemptive name of God is used, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, our provider, the one who sees ahead and provides. Notice, as Abraham obeyed what God had said, the ram came behind the blessing came behind and overtook him. It's the way it always works. The blessing of God, every one of them that God says are yours, he's given them to you in Christ, they will overtake you as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So this will be the game, right? The world system is designed to dumb you down spiritually by getting you to live out of your flesh, out of the self-centeredness in your flesh. If you're sitting there today and you're born again and your desire level for God is so low that you decide at times whether you live for him or not, whether you read the Bible or not, whether you're gonna come to church or not, whatever. If it's so low, don't beat yourself up for that. 
The only reason it's that way is because of what you're looking at and what you're feeding on. But if you will get your eyes off of natural things, starting with yourself, and get your eyes on Jesus, which how you get your eyes on Jesus is get your eyes on this, and you start meditating in the word and you start feeding on the word of God, listen, don't worry about not understanding it. This is not learned, it's discerned. The Holy Spirit will open it to you and you'll see it. And as you start feeding on him, you will hunger after him. Okay, so this is, this is a huge thing here. Verse 14, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. In other words, that redemptive name of God is the Lord will provide, the Lord will see to it. Do you know God wants to see to it in your life? Everything he's given you in Christ, he gave it to you because he wants you to walk in it. Many theologians and I would agree with this, they believe that this where Abraham would have offered Isaac was about 300 feet from where Jesus would have hung on a cross, right? So this compound name, Jehovah Jireh, it's only used here. As I said when we were talking about this before, Jehovah Jireh is a place God wants you to take, take you places in him so that he can do things in your life. But if you choose not to go to the place, then you can't walk in the blessing. So I want to encourage you today, be strong and courageous. Don't fear, for God's with you. Go to those places, right? Put your flesh under, live by faith, walk by faith. Let God show himself strong in your life because that's what he wants. He wants to take you places in him. So important. God brings us to certain places in our lives. Why? Because he wants to do certain things in our lives. Many times he can't get much over to you because you're not in the right place in your attitude, in your focus, in whatever it is, right? So never say no to God. Just, I mean, in, in order to hear this word as it goes forth, you have to sit with a willingness to do whatever it says. If you don't have a willingness to do it, if it's going to be optional, you won't hear it. You'll just listen to it. And the Bible says in James, the listener only is self-deceived. You'll actually think you're hearing it. You'll think you're spiritual, but you'll wonder why you never really get to step into much with him because he's got to take you to a place in him, right? Do you know he's got to take you to a place to where you get in the right place so that you can walk in the financial blessing that he has for you? you got, he's got to get you in the right place in order to do things in your life. Even in the realm of healing, he's got to get you to the right place in order for you to lay hold of it, okay? So Psalm 34, 8 says this. It says, oh, taste and see. Do you want to see that God is your everything? You know, Mother Teresa made this statement. Man, it just rocked my world year, decades ago now. She said this, 
you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Man, I'm telling you what, you know, that is such a powerful statement. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, many people are out there saying things about God that's not true. He is good all the time. He doesn't wipe out cities with hurricanes or volcanoes or tsunamis, right? Even though we call it an act of God, right? He doesn't, he doesn't kill babies and take them to heaven early because he needs another voice in the choir, right? That, that's just so un, unbelievably ridiculous. To be honest with you, he doesn't take anybody. He receives people, right? And he'll receive people. He considers it precious in his sight when one of his saints die and come home, but he likes them to come home after they've lived out all their days, right? You do have an appointment. It is appointed once for us to die, right? Now for us, that, that's going to be real quick because I think there's a good chance we're just going to hear a trumpet and we're going to be changed, right? But that appointment is not set in stone. People say, well, no, you know, you have an appointment. And we think naturally like, hey, I'm going to the dentist at 9 o'clock tomorrow. And you just never know when your time is up. Well, now time out. That can't be true because God, there's many scriptures that tell you you could lengthen that date or you can shorten that date. In other words, who's in control of that date? You are, right? Now, it is appointed that you will die, right? But that date is not set. Is God sovereign? He absolutely is sovereign. Guess what rule number one of sovereignty is, how the sovereign God set it up. Rule number one is your will trumps his will on the earth in your life. You don't have to serve him. You don't have to obey him. You don't have to do any of that. But boy, there's great blessings if you do because he knows it all, right? Amen. Greatest revelation you'll ever walk in is God loves you. Second greatest revelation that you'll ever walk in is he's smarter than you. Sometimes I'm still figuring that out. You'd think I would have learned that by now, but every once in a while you're going, yeah, you're right, right? So God wants us to partake of his very nature. Why? So that we can be transformed, right? So that we could be transformed by who he is into his very image. You have to taste in order to see. And a lot of people are just tasting the world and they're wondering why. I'm a Christian, but I have no desire for God, right? Well, of course you don't because you're not feeding. Because if you want to get hungry for God, you got to feed. It's opposite from natural. If you feed your flesh, if you go, if you go eat a big lunch today, you will get to the point where you don't want to eat anymore. If you spend... If you start spending time with God, it will just increase. And you'll get to the point where you can go, man, I could spend eight hours with him. Man, I could spend 10 hours. And you just get more and more hungry for him because he is life, right? So God, with this whole thing with Abraham, let's jump back into this story now. He was painting a prophetic picture of Jesus dying for us, right? Jesus was our substitute, just like the ram was the substitute for Isaac. 
Jesus was our substitute. So what if Abraham would, obeyed, would have obeyed 50%? Yes, Lord, I'll kill my son. I really don't want to walk in a desert for three days carrying wood and all this stuff. Can't I just do it at this mountain in my backyard? Isaac would have died because that's not the place, right? We have to, we have to realize the importance of obedience to the word of God. I, I can't stress this enough. In our environment of the church, so many Christians are living with so many blind spots and they're just living for themselves and the only thing that they're sensing in them is inner turmoil because things are just not working out. Or, or they start getting happy because they think things are working out because their bills are paid or they're making more money and they're maybe increasing a little bit, but they're completely missing the plan of God for their life, which would be much greater. So the question is, do we have the right to do what's convenient for us instead of doing what God says do, right? I mean, it was amazing a few years ago when this virus came out, how everybody just thought, I have no problem not coming to church. And, and that's dumbfounding. I know when we started coming back, you know, when as soon as the governor, I mean, they said Monday that we could come back and Tuesday morning at 6.30, we were at a men's Bible study, right? All the guys were there. You know, immediately when we could come back on a Sunday, 70% of our church was here, right? And then it grew. I mean, there were some people with, with physical ailments and some things, you know, some, some family members are like, you have this, you're not going anywhere, right? And, and, and man, it would be so fun over the months seeing people come back, oh, we're so glad we're back, right? Because we're a gathering faith. But when we first came back, the, one of the news stations contacted us and said, hey, you're one of the few churches that are actually having church. And could we come interview you on a Sunday? And I'm like, I was in the sporting goods industry and saw what reporters did to professional athletes. And I'm like, you know, I'm not so sure I want to do that. But then I had a piece about it. And this uh, young lady reporter was in my office. And she asked, she goes, so why, why are you coming back? Did you go to the congregation and take a vote? And, and I'm like, well, I go, you know, we just, that's not really how it works in the church, you know. Uh, we hear from God and we just do. But I go, in this situation, it's real simple. The Bible's very clear. It, and it literally has a scripture for our time. It says, don't forsake. That means to abandon or desert the assembling of yourself together. And it says, as is the manner of some. And then it says this, even for our day, even the more as you see the day approaching. Well, we see this day approaching. It's very important to be planted in a church, right? And if God plants you here, what does that mean? That means when we meet, you meet, right? Ouch, right? Now I'm preaching to the choir. Obviously, you're here, right? But you know, you know what I mean. Christians will just, Christians will just say, you know, I, you know, Kenneth Copeland's my pastor. Joyce Meyer's my pastor. Are they really? Really? You know, Keith Moore, man, he could punch you in the face when he preaches. And it's no big deal because you're listening to it on a CD. You're like, yeah, I need to change that. But it's another thing when you're here. Pastor, you're getting really close. I'm out of here if you say much more, right? Now, we don't live in that world here, but do we have a right to do what we want? Well, 
You can do what you want because God will never drive you. Satan will always drive you, right? He just leads you. When you give him your life, so if Pastor Edwin's God, and this represents my life, which he'd be a great example of this, right? So when I come to him and I proclaim him my Lord, I give him my life. Do you know the first thing he does is he gives it back to me. And then he says, Tony, now follow me. And it's, it's up to me to follow him, right? And I love that about God. But God wants to bless you. He wants you to learn how to walk with him. Why was Abraham to be fully persuaded that literally this son that he had when he was 100 years old, Sarah was 90, this son that would be the heir of all things when God said, I want you to sacrifice him, why was he fully persuaded? My son's going to live. God will bring him back to life because he was he he already he had that relationship. God was walking with him. See, what happens is you progressively grow in your ability to be firmly persuaded on the word as you walk with him through his course for your life. So, see, Jehovah Jireh and I can't talk about the Baptist or some of these other denominations. I got to talk about us. In our circles, right? Many times we are really, we get so focused on the blessing that we think Jehovah Jireh means he blesses me. But really, you got to see, see, Jehovah Jireh is presented incorrectly in that environment that he just blesses you. If you look at Jehovah Jireh, he blesses you as a result He's able to get to you what he wants you to have as a result of your, dis, or of your obedience. Do you see that? There's, obedience, there's an obedience piece. Now, we're New Testament believers. We don't have to do this in order for God to do this. He's already done it. So he's already given us everything, but in order for us to lay hold of it, we have to walk in obedience to his word because we receive it all through faith. So now let's jump. Let's talk now a little bit about Abraham being a man of faith. Okay? Hebrews chapter 11. Let's jump over there. Hebrews chapter 11. Man, I've been studying the book of Hebrews. You know, when you study a book, oh, all you want to talk about is the book. You know, because it's just crazy. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Look at what it says about Abraham. Verses, we're going to look at verses 17 through 19 here. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, well, what tried him? Remember, does God test you? Does he try you? Yes. Yes. His word always will test you. If you don't believe me, if somebody comes up to you after church, I pray this doesn't happen. I know one example, though, this has happened in our church, right? Where somebody walked in our church one day, we were at Kiewit Middle School, and a lady, you know all about this, don't you? A, a lady walked up to him and slapped Pastor Mark right in the face. And I'm thinking to myself, that's just, is that the byproduct of my ministry? 
right? And, and right when that happened, Pastor Mark, he had a decision to make. The word tried him. Right? Now, I know him. He would never slap her back. But boy, tempted to probably walk out the back door and never come back. Right? Never, never want to ever deal with that family or that person again. And the word, the word is right there trying him. How, how is it trying him? Love her. Yeah. Forgive her. Right? Well, let me bring it more home. Maybe none of you have been slapped in church. Okay. What about, what's that? Yeah, no, we better not do that. Yeah. Aren't you glad he didn't, didn't leave? Aren't you glad, right? So, you know, but have you ever been cut off on Dodge, right? Or, or anywhere, right? Right. Has anybody ever been rude to you? Have you ever had a boss that just didn't completely value you, everything about you, right? I mean, things happen in life. Have you ever had parents that maybe weren't so great with you, right? So the word always tries us, but this is the way it is. When God's word tries you, see, God corrects us with his word. He doesn't correct us by, okay, you know, I'm going to allow this accident in your life so that you limp for the rest of your life so that you know that, you know, hey, you learned something. No, God doesn't do that, right? He corrects us with his word, okay? And if you go out and do something stupid, guess what? You get mercy and he'll fix everything, right? Thank God for that. So, but God, when God's word tries you, it is always to bring you to a place of obedience. Why? So that he can bless you, so that he can get over to you what he has. When Satan tests you and tries you, it's different. He's always, and it really, it's more the word tempt, and there's, there's a couple different Greek words that's used, but it always is getting you to move into disobedience so that he can steal, kill, and destroy in your life. So understand that, because there's a lot of Word of Faith Christians that are like, oh, God would never test me. Well, his word tests you all the time, right? So the, the goal is to be obedient, to not say no, to not say no. So by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Verse 19, accounting, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham knew that if God had to raise him up, he would raise him up. See, God wanted Abraham Abraham was called the friend of God. Look in the Old Testament. Try to find areas where God called somebody their friend. It's kind of amazing, right? God literally wanted Abraham to understand what his eternal plan for mankind was. The way that God chose to show Abraham was to pre-enact the plan. 
Thus he told Abraham to offer his only begotten son as a sacrifice. If God's covenant man would offer his only begotten son, then God could offer his only begotten son. Wow. You know, Pastor Dave gets up and talks about the tithe. You can't give the tithe, the first ten dime out of every dollar of increase. You've got to bring it because it's not yours, right? But literally, why would God want us to give him his first? Well, if you understand covenant, because then God is now able to get over to you his first and his best, which he's already given to you, but now he's able to get it over to you. This is all about helping you receive, right? I love this. So let's keep going. Abraham knew if God would tell him to sacrifice his son on behalf of the covenant that God would also be willing to offer up his own son on behalf of the covenant. Abraham, in other words, fully believed the covenant. He believed that if he killed Isaac, God would raise him up. He knew God would never, ever, ever go back on his word. If God tells you every good and perfect thing comes from me, and I'm no respecter of persons, if God tells you all things are possible, if you'll believe it, if he tells you, I will meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. If he tells you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, right? If he tells you that I sent my word and healed your body, that Jesus himself, I'm quoting scripture, bore your sickness and carried your pain so you don't have to. If he said over and over and over again, behold, I want you to see this, I make all things new. These people that came up, I'm telling you, all things new. Father, I thank you that you're making all things new. How? Satan will sit on your shoulder and say, how? Don't care. Right? Don't care how it happens. How's not my deal. My, my deal is to receive, to believe and receive. So let's look, at, let's look at Abraham years earlier. Go to Romans chapter 4 and verse 13. And my precious son David, if you could cause that clock to slow down just a little bit, if there's anything you could do back there. Maybe Nate, you could like tase it or something. I don't know. You know, there we go. That's right, yeah. <laughs> look at Romans chapter 4 verse 13. It says this, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed, singular. Why? Because he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's also talking about us because we are in Christ. For the promise that, should be, that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed, Jesus right? Through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The Amplified Classic says it this way, for the promise to Abraham or his posterity that he should inherit the world did not come through observing the commandments of the law, 
but it did come through the righteousness of faith. Verse 16, therefore, jump to verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. What is grace? God doing for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. We could never save ourselves, right? So literally though, God saved us and did everything and provided everything for us by his grace. However, in order to partake of it and bring it into this natural realm, it comes through faith. You were saved by grace through faith. That's how you'll receive everything from God, okay? So let's keep going with this. For the promise, verse 13, or I'm sorry, verse 16, therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Let me read verse 16 in the Amplified Classic. It says it this way. It brings it real clear. Maybe we could put it up on the screen so people could see it in the Amplified Classic. It says this, Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, who is thus the father of us all. So now, verse 17. As it is written, and now Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to quote Genesis 17.5. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. God spoke this to Abraham when he had no children. Okay? He, he was like 75 years old, right? Then, then when he was 90, it was, you know, he made some mistakes, and now all of a sudden he's about 100 years old, and God is speaking this to him. It says, I've made thee a father of many nations before him, whom he believed, even God. And who is God? Who quickens the dead. He makes dead things alive. Right? And calls those things which be not as though they were. That's the language of faith. Faith calls things that be not as though they were. Faith, the language of faith, does not call things that are as though they're not. What do you mean, Pastor? If I'm single and I want to be married, I don't walk around saying, right? Well, what, what would the language of faith say? Calling things that are not as though they were, right? I believe that I receive my husband. I believe that I receive my wife. That's what the language of faith the language of faith would not say, oh, I have a husband or I have a wife. Because that's calling something that's not as, right? Or something that is as though it's not. Well, let me, this is a better example. That's kind of messed up. When you preach, it's kind of a work in progress. 
this is an easier example. You'll understand this. So you have sickness in your body. You know, I'll just tell the story. You're in Christ the Healer class. Keith Moore is teaching at Rama. You'll get attacked with sickness and disease. And you'll see some of, your, you know, some of your classmates come into class. Have you ever seen somebody with a massive sinus infection? They look like their head's about to explode. They don't look like they're having a good day. And they're walking in, right? And, and you're like, hey, man, are you doing okay? Are you, are, are, you, are you fighting some sickness? No, I'm not sick. I'm healed. What, well, if you say you're not sick, when your head's about to explode, you've got green, lime green stuff coming out of your nose, right? Hope you didn't eat breakfast this morning. Or have you ever had the bright yellow stuff? Have you ever had it coming out of your eyes? Have you ever had to lay on your bed and go backwards? So, Are you getting what I'm saying? Yeah. You're not saying I'm not sick because you are sick. But what do you say? I don't say I'm not sick. I say, listen, I believe I'm healed. I'm calling something that's not yet. It's, I'm, obviously, I'm not, you can't see healing in my body yet. However, I've already received it. You just can't see it yet. So I call that thing that's not as though it is. I don't call something that is as though it's not. I don't say I'm not sick. What I say is I'm healed. Does that make sense? Is that a little clear? Okay. All right. Okay, I almost lost everybody. Let's keep going. Look at this. Who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope, verse 18, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Look at now, now look at verse 19. This is what I want you to see. This is where Abraham was before he had Isaac. And being not weak in faith, well, if you're not weak in faith, what does that mean? You're strong in faith, right? And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old. He didn't didn't consider that. He didn't closely observe his body that was not dead. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham was strong in faith because he did not closely observe the natural circumstances of his life. He he refused to closely observe his body that was dead or the deadness of Sarah's womb, right? In other words, Abraham was not telling or was not looking at his body to tell him what his answer was. In the same way, you're believing God for healing, don't look to your body to tell you the answer, look to the word. Your finances, don't look at your checkbook, look at the word, okay? Abraham did not allow his body to tell him whether or not God's word is true, and that's where people miss it. They're looking for an outward thing. No, 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 God's word is true, as you walk with him, you'll be so fully persuaded that you won't even closely observe these natural things. You will be, your heart and your mouth will be filled with his word, thanking him that you have what you can't see right now. Right? So this is big. That's strong in faith. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, 
but was strong in faith. Why or how? Giving glory to God. He was constantly thanking God for what he, what God had said he had given him that he had it, even though he couldn't see it. What I love this, this word strong, it's the Greek word enduna mu. It literally, it denotes a progression. He was ever increasing in his strength of faith. So as he walked, he was getting stronger in faith and stronger in faith. Why? Because he was believing in his heart and speaking with his mouth. I'm telling you, Christian, Satan is going to work overtime to get you not to speak. Well, I'm, let me say this correctly. Not to speak the word of God. He will want you to speak your circumstances. I'm so stupid. I'm so weak. I'm so sick. My back is killing me. This nothing ever works out for me. I just have bad luck. He loves it because he knows that your tongue hands you things and it opens doors for him. And you could sit here and say, well, you know, that's, I'm just, I'm just being real. You know, I don't really mean it. It doesn't matter because this is a word planet. Everything is legal. I mean, you sit here and look at the nature of God and look at the evil stuff that's going on in the world. I mean, the long-suffering of God is unbelievable. And that's why when Jesus comes back in his second coming, good feeling gone. He's probably been waiting. Man, I'm dealing with this. Right? Do you think he wants kids abused? Human trafficking? All this stuff, the, the long-suffering of God. I mean, I look at it in my own life. He's never given up on me, right? Some things took me years to finally get obedient. Never talks to me about it, just so glad you're ready, finally, right? But I'm telling you, God is amazing. And this is all legal. And he's given you everything, but he's got to take you to a place so that you can receive it, right? And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Abraham was a doer, right? In the book of James, in James chapter 1, in verse 22, it explains what a doer of the word is. And you've heard me teach on this before, but man, it's... it's or. Many has listened to me teach on this. We are all growing and hearing this. The word of God says in James 1.22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. This word in the Greek, hearers, akrotes. It is a masculine noun. It means one who listens without practicing what he hears. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't be one that just listens but has, is not going to do it. But not hearers only. Why? Because you'll deceive your own self. See, the doer of the word is one who confesses the word and lives it. Flawless? Oh, no, don't worry about that. Right? But I'm telling you, you get full of the word and you step out and do or say something stupid, you'll just jump right back. Father, I didn't mean that. I curse those words. I repent of that. Thank you for forgiving me. It's gone. It's already, I already know it's paid for. Let's keep going. Keep putting more and more word in me so I don't mess up. Right? 
Speaking the word sometimes and speaking your circumstances sometimes does not work. You never are able to lay hold of things. Verse 23, for if any be a hearer, again, one who listens without practicing what they hear, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. He beholds himself, goes his way. Notice, he goes his way. How many of you have written books on going your own way? Right? Been to that concert, bought the t-shirt. Yikes, right? None of us really love that. I mean, that concert seems so good when you're going to it sometimes. You got a little inner turmoil, but then you really experience and you just experience the concert. And when it's over, you're like, oh, right? It says here, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. He beholds himself, then he goes his way and at once forgets what kind of man he was. He was when? When he was looking in the mirror. Here's the mirror. You want to see what your spirit looks like? Here it is. Put just, just You could see your spirit. Right? You want to see Jesus? Here he is. You want to be, behold, I could hardly say these words. I always say this to the Lord. Oh, Lord, that I may behold the beauty of your holiness. This is why I just, you know, Many pages in my Bible end up having drool. Sometimes because I fall asleep. Other times I just get so excited. I'm, he just, he's so irresistible. To behold the beauty of his holiness. As I read these words out loud, the Holy Spirit on the inside of me is taking the pen of my tongue and etching them on my heart. And then he opens them up and I see Jesus. And when I see Jesus... I see me, because I'm in him, right? I love that. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a, ma a man looking at his natural face in a mirror. He immediately, the minute he stops looking, he goes his own way and forgets what kind of manner of man he was. See, if you govern your life by your senses, sight, hearing, all this stuff, right? unbelief will always manifest always if you're walking by natural things it's going to be impossible for you to walk by faith verse 25 but whoever looks this means to look and keep on looking into the perfect law of liberty the perfect law of freedom james is describing the word of god as the perfect law of freedom it's a law this works the same for everyone who will work it. Just like gravity. Every one of us, if we jumped off this building, would experience gravity in a negative way, right? If you'll believe this in your heart and do it, it will work for everything, everybody. And it will always bring you into freedom. Obeying God's word always will bring you into freedom. But whoever looks and keeps on looking into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in his deeds or in his doing. The difference between the hearer and the doer is what they see because of what they're looking at. That's the only difference. 
the minute, if I put my Bible down and stop looking into it, it might take a while because I've got quite a bit of word in me, but eventually all this old nature stuff would start coming up. Nightmare city, right? Because it's in your flesh, but you could walk free from all of it. Now let's go to James chapter 2 because he talks about some other things here. We're talking about the obedience of Abraham's faith. It says in James 2.14, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now the word works here literally means corresponding action. So let me read it this way. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not corresponding actions? Can faith save him? The answer to that is no. Because faith has to have corresponding action with it. Verse 17. Even so faith, jump down to verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, corresponding action is dead. That means it's lifeless and it's inactive, being alone. Faith, in order to work, has to have corresponding action. Look at verse 18. Yea, now, now he's going to explain this. Yea, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your corresponding action, and I will show you my faith by my works or by my corresponding action. And otherwise, you're going to see my faith by my corresponding actions. Okay? Verse 19, if you believe that there is one God, you do well. Guess what? The devils also believe, right? And they tremble. Verse 20, but will you know, O vain man, that faith without works or faith without corresponding actions is dead. As you walk by faith, so many times you'll question your faith. Forget about that. Look at your actions. Look at your actions. How does God know you love him? Because I tell him I love him? Nope. He knows you love him because you do what he says. Right? Why? Because it, it's the corresponding action. In your walk of faith, look at what you're saying. Look at what you're doing. And you'll be able to tell if your faith's okay. Because many times, Christian, when you're in faith and you've laid hold, Satan will try to make you feel like you're not because, it, well, you haven't seen the answer yet and you know you really don't deserve it and he'll try to do everything just look at your corresponding action am i believing do i believe this word in my heart and am i speaking it out of my mouth and most of the time you're going to go oh wow i do believe it in my heart but i haven't been speaking it out of my mouth i'm going to start doing that and as you start doing that you'll go oh yeah i'm in faith and boy will it make you happy right faith is always now, this is a faith lesson. Faith is always, always, always identified in what you do. And everybody said amen or ouch, one of the two, right? But it's true, right? So James chapter 2, verse 21. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works, by his corresponding actions, when he, offered, when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Do you see, verse 22, how faith worked with his works or with his corresponding actions, and by corresponding actions was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Why? Well, wait a minute. Shouldn't it have said he believed God and acted on it? It did. The Greek word for believe there means I believe it so strongly I've acted on it. John 3.16, whoever believes in him will not perish. It believes so strongly that I act upon it. If you have no corresponding actions and you're just saying, yeah, I know Jesus is God, Brother, you need to get saved, right? So, and the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, verse 23, it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works, by corresponding actions, a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise, also was Rahab, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? In other words, Rahab, when she met the spies, she lived on top of the wall in Jericho. She took the spies, the Israeli spies, they were, they were spying out the land. They were looking for these guys. She took them in her house and hid them and sent them out another way. She was justified because not only did she believe, because when she first met him, she said, man, we've been scared to death of you guys. But that wouldn't have been enough for her to know that they were going to overtake them. For her to be free, she had to act on that. She hid them and sent them out another way. Her corresponding action, that's what this is saying. The word is telling us corresponding action, corresponding action. Now, the rest of the epistles tell you exactly Am I working for something? No. No, I'm not working to get God to do something. I'm working out something. I'm working what he is working in. Philippians chapter 2 says, listen, work out your own salvation with a reverence, honor, and a respect for God, for it is God who works in you. He energizes you to want to do his will and to do his will. So I don't work for something. I don't, I don't try to do good so God will answer my prayer. The Bible doesn't say he answers my prayer because I do good. He answers my prayer because I pray according to his will and I'm in faith, which means that I believe something and I'm acting on it. Do you see that? It says here, verse 26, look at this, for as the body without the spirit is dead, is a corpse... If your spirit left your body right now, your body would fall on the floor. It wouldn't be you. It's just your earth suit, and it would be a corpse. Even so, or so, faith without works or without corresponding action is dead, is also a corpse. So let's jump to another scripture real quick. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians, you guys doing okay? You'll have to go back and listen to this again because we're just kind of flowing. 
But what should be speaking to you is right now the Holy Spirit is talking to you. If you're listening online, he's talking to you about adjustments that you need to make. He could be talking to you that you've been in a church for years and you have said, yes, I believe that God is God, but you've never acted on that and you need to get born again, right? Whatever that is, Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Boy, that sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like Hebrews, sounds a lot like Romans. It's all over the book. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So let's look at this. The children. This word children in the Greek means the legitimate sons. So let's read it. The same, they which are of faith, the same are the legitimate sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith Wow, I love that phrase because right there, and the scripture, the word of God foreseeing that God would justify Tony the heathen by faith, and now I'm Tony the righteous. That forever proclaims that the word of God is the foundation of everything. And this is why we preach the word. The only difference between now and next Wednesday is going to be we're going to preach it stronger. Right? Under all circumstances, we're going to just yell and scream the word because it's the foundation of all things. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, he was preaching the gospel. He said, Abraham, in you... All nations shall be blessed. That, where did he say that? Roman, or Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Say this, I am blessed, I am blessed with, faithful with faithful Abraham. The blessing of Abraham, blessing is, mine. of Abraham is, mine. is mine. Isn't that good news? In other words, you know you are blessed. Why? Because you are of faith. You don't know you're blessed because your bank account has a lot of money in it. As fast as that money's there, it could be gone tomorrow. But when you're blessed, you know you're tomorrow. But you know you're blessed, not by outward things. You know you're blessed because of faith. Because you're in faith. That's why you know you're blessed, right? Let's look at 1 John 5, verse 4. You know you're blessed because you're in faith. We've got to drive this home a little bit. It says, for whosoever, 1 John 5, 4, whosoever is born of God overcomes. This Greek word overcomes means I overcome because I have been given delegated authority. We know in the name of Jesus... I overcome the world. That's the Greek word cosmos. It means the world system. Say this with me. I, as a child of God, continuously overcome the world system. The economy does not dictate my lifestyle. The blessing of Abraham dictates 
my lifestyle. For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. Or in other words, this is the means of success that overcomes the world system. It's even our faith. I love, put the amplified classic of this up here so you could get your eyes on this. 1 John 5, 4 in the Amplified Classic, it says, For everyone born of God is victorious. You're not trying to become victorious. You come from a place of victorious. I'm not working for a victory. I'm working from a victory. And because I'm already victorious, now all this junk, I don't care if I created it, whatever, has to bow to who I now am in Christ. For everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world, our continuing, persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Why? Because he is the guarantee of my covenant with God. His blood was shed, and I forever know that every word in here, my Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, will perform it in my life. I don't have to think about what if. No, I'm fully persuaded. Because God, the God of the universe, locked himself in. That's why we don't play church. So, let's jump back to Galatians. Galatians 3, where, let's look at verse 16. I want you to see Abraham in all this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Guess who his seed is? You and I. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So why are we Abraham? Abraham and his seed, that's Christ. But guess where you are? You're in Christ, so you are included in this. See, you got to see this. We're almost done now. Hang with me. There was a covenant in a covenant. Okay? Now, now just hang with me. You're going to have to think about this one. There was a spiritual covenant within the natural covenant that was cut. If we just take the surface glance at the Old Testament, it appears to be natural promises concerning land, a nation, etc. It seems like a natural covenant. But as we look deeper into it, we see that the entire purpose of the land the nation of Israel, etc., was to provide, are you ready to shout? A platform for the seed, Jesus Christ, to get in the earth. See, it's a covenant within a covenant. Yes, it was a natural covenant, but we have a spiritual covenant. The whole reason for the natural covenant was to create a nation and to create all this stuff so it would, it, God was building a legal platform so that the Messiah could step in and redeem us. Wow, this is so good. I wish I could preach this better. Right? Talk to me in a thousand years. I'll, I'll be better at it than I am right now. So as we look at the Old Testament in retrospect, we find that God established a covenant with a nation 
so that he could bring salvation and a new covenant to all of mankind, to the whole world. He started it with a natural thing in a nation to provide a platform so that his son could save the whole world. So what are you saying, Pastor? How can you sum this, this all up in one word? You ready? The devil is defeated, right? And he is a liar. And you are free. And you are blessed. And you'll increase because of who you are in Christ. Because the stage has been set. Jesus has come into the earth. He was born as a, as a little baby in a manger. He died as our redeemer. He rose as our king of kings and lord of lords. He's your healer. He's your everything. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Man. 